0: good to see each of you i love that last ending boy Phil, Phil i was going i thought the tomb was opening right there <laughs> I thought I was, I, that, that was pretty exciting. I was looking over at the, at the stone real quick here. But anyway, I love that last part of the uh, video where that light starts to beam through and what must it have been like on that first resurrection morning. How exciting that is. Hey, do me a favor. Would you turn to someone near you and say, spring has sprung. Do that, would you? spring has sprung. Oh, Makes you smile, doesn't it? Even if you don't think it's true, it still makes you smile. So I, uh, my wife and I were coming in. I, I, first of all, last week when I said spring's around the corner, I actually didn't realize the next day was the first day of spring. So the next day I'm like, oh, hey, I was right. It really is around the corner. And, uh, but my wife and I were coming in this morning, and the sun was uh, real red and orange, right as we're coming down craft, right in our eyes. And, uh, and my wife said, boy, it's kind of cold this morning. And I said, Yeah, but that is spring in Michigan. So for me, I was all excited. Cold weather, sun outside. I'm good. I'm good. So anyway, glad you're with us this morning. If you're joining at home, I want to say welcome to you as well. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to John chapter 18? John 18, we're going to insert a verse and a half out of Luke, but it's the same story, same context. As we go on a journey today, we, can, we started it last week called Hope Has a Reason. And it's based on this idea that a lot of times when we talk about our hope, our hope in heaven, our our hope of salvation, people think that means you're crossing your fingers and you're just kind of hope it all works out. No, the author of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 11 verse 1 that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see our hope is not something that's a kind of a pie in the sky wish it were true but rather it's something that is already set aside for us in heaven and we're discovering some of the foundations of that i wish we had about seven or eight weeks to kind of hit it because there's lots of different aspects to it last week we talked about how the promise of christ is part of that hope that he says that if you believe in me you shall not perish but have eternal life and today I want to talk about the personhood of who Jesus is and how that's part of our foundation of hope. Now, in John chapter 18, John is one of the four Gospel authors. He writes his Gospel a good 30 years or so later than any other Gospel writer. Um, The way I like to say it is, John, as he writes his Gospel, is kind of like, uh, and hey, let me tell you the rest of the story because you'll notice there's a harmony among many of the, the early Gospels. Matthew, Mark's the first one, but then Matthew and Luke as Luke's the historian and the physician and he's giving all this great insight. But John says there's part of the story that they didn't tell, not because they're wrong, it's just because they, they couldn't tell everything. And so let me tell you some other stuff about Jesus you may not have known. When you read the Gospels, it would be kind of like Four different people telling the story of what their experience at Colonial Woods was this morning. Some of you might say, uh, Man, the coffee was hot and incredible. Uh, I like Jamaican me crazy because I like saying Jamaican me crazy. I always have a cup of that just because I like to say it. And yeah, the coffee was good. Um, the music was great. Oh, It was incredible as we were together. Uh, maybe you, some of you would say, man, my welcome was phenomenal. Others might say, man, Pastor Phil was incredibly handsome as he delivered the Word of God. And my wife's not in here. She'd be the only one, maybe. You're not wrong. It's just that you tell it from a vantage point. And so that's really the Gospels. You're seeing... Like you would expect, four stories from different viewpoints telling different aspects that you may not have quite seen had you not seen them from all four perspectives. John, as he is telling the story, he he doesn't spend time on the Lord's Supper. It's not because he wasn't there. It's just that story's been told. But he does focus in chapter 13 on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He also spends time in chapter 14, talking about how Jesus began to share with them about heaven and the, his father's house. And chapter 15, Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit and, and his priestly prayer. And as you come to the arrest scene of Jesus, John gives us a little different glimpse than some of the other authors did. Let's pick it up. John chapter 18, verse one. When he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples, with his disciples, and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the high priest or from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. I'm going to insert Luke chapter 22 here now. Leading them, he, Judas, approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Back to chapter 18 of John. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas the, betrayer, the, the traitor was also standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you, I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of them that you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, servant, uh, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And by the way, Matthew says he took the ear and he healed it, replacing he took that time before he was arrested to heal Malchus' ear. Now as we look at this story, you may say to yourself, man, that doesn't look like it's got a lot of hope in it. But I would tell you that as you look at those stories, as you see Jesus' arrest you actually see a lot of hope because you're seeing who Jesus is in a nutshell. Now the first image, and John is really important that he gives us this picture of Jesus, is that you see Jesus in his deity. Deity. Say say deity with me, would you? Deity. Deity is different than divine. Divine means that something is supernatural or of God. Deity means he is God. He is equal with God. That means the God. And it's interesting because when Jesus is being arrested, so many things are happening that are showing that Jesus is completely in control. If you were on the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is at, at least at that time, there would have been hundreds of olive trees in that area. When the Muslims went in and and, and took over that area, they cut down all those trees. So there's not that many of those types of trees there today. There's a few. But as he's up on the hillside, it's called the Mount of Olives, as you look down to the west, you'll see Jerusalem and the walls, and you'll see the western gate, or the eastern gate, and it's very clear. And between where you would be sitting and where Jesus was, you would see the Kedron Valley. Now it's a valley and at that time there would have been probably a creek or a stream that would have been running down through that time. The Temple Mount where the sacrifices would be done during Passover week would have just been on the other side and so very likely the blood that was from those lambs, they said as many as 250,000 lambs were, were uh, uh, sacrificed during that week. That blood would have likely with water been washed off the Temple Mount and it would have been just kind of staining the creek red. And as Jesus is looking across there with His disciples, it says that there was a detachment of roman soldiers uh, the word is sparrow it it, it it can it can mean several things it can mean a a group of 600 roman soldiers it can mean roman soldiers with a cavalry and it can be both of those but but probably this is talking about a sub kind of a sub group of them about 200 was usually what it responded to and it says it was made up of, of soldiers and temple officials and probably some temple guards and some chief priests But the chief priest's house, as you're looking at Jerusalem, would have just been there to the south. Would have been easy to see, and that's where they would have likely come from. And it says they were carrying torches. So if it's dark, it's not too hard to see 200 torches coming with people with weapons as they're coming up the side. And the reason I tell you this is because Jesus very easily could have just slipped up over the top of Mount of Olives Bethany was on the other side. He could have just kind of gone to where he had gone almost every night of Holy Week. He he went to Bethany every night just to kind of that's where he slept. That's where the meal took place with uh, with uh, Lazarus and his household, and so that's where Jesus was anointed. It would have been very simple for him to do that, but he didn't do that. He chose to stay where he was. He chose to be arrested. And you'll notice that when he's arrested, he says, who is it that you're looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And notice this, he said, I am he. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now, that picture is important to see because normally when we look at this we we say boy jesus it was the jews that conspired against him and they did and judas betrayed him and he did and it was the soldiers that arrested and carried out the sentence and they did but John is helping us to understand that when Jesus said, I am He, he uses those two little words, I am, uh, eme ego, or ego eme, which identifies him with what happened at the burning bush. When Moses looked at the burning bush and God was trying to send him to lead the Israelites, he said, I don't even know your name. Who am I supposed to say is sending me? And God said to him, I am who I am. So if they ask who it is that's sending you, just tell them I am is sending you and Jesus uses those words over and over and over again and every time he says it he is identifying himself with God In fact, in John chapter 10, he makes it even clearer to them when he says to them, after doing all these miracles, he says, I and the Father are one. They picked up rocks, and they're about to stone him. And Jesus says, you know, I've done a lot of miracles. Which miracle are you about to stone me for? And they said, we're not going to stone you for the miracles you're doing. We're stoning you because you're a mere man, and yet you identify yourself as God, and you're blaspheming him. So when people say Jesus never said he was God, that's disingenuous. Because he did everything and he identified with everything that only God could do. And he was willing to take that. So John is helping us to see the power in those words because it says, and they fell back. And I like to add in a little commentary. And when they gathered themselves and got up off the ground, Jesus says, now who is it that you said you were looking for? I always feel like, I always feel like it took place like this. Who, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I am Him. Whew, they fall down. They get up again. Who did you say you're looking for? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth? I think they humbled themselves a tad and He said, I am He. Now, why is that a big deal? And I've given you lots of Scripture that you can go ahead and follow in on this, but understand that when Jesus is arrested, He was fully in control. This didn't happen by mistake, and yes, all those individuals made volitional choices, but Jesus is showing us that He is fully in control. And when your life feels like it's out of control Jesus is still in control and i want you to also see that what john is helping us to understand is that jesus says and i'm i'm laying down my life for you willingly this wasn't a mistake This wasn't wasn't something that He didn't know was going to happen. You'll notice all throughout the Gospels, it'll say Jesus knew that His appointed time had come. Jesus knew who was going to betray Him. John chapter 13, verse 19, He says, I've told you these things in advance so that when they happen, you will know that I am He. Make no mistake, this was not a mistake. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. I know he laid down his life for us. Why did he do that? And a lot of times when I ask people that question, why do you think Jesus went to the cross? Why do you think he died on the cross? He said, because he wants to show us how much he loves us. Which is not wrong. It's just incomplete. You're right. It is demonstrating how much he loves us. But understand, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to die as a ransom for many. I came for a purpose and I came to die for your sins. And so his deity speaks to us that he's in control even when it feels like things are out of control and that he willingly is laying down his life for us. And, and maybe one last thing it says is that I see the bigger picture. Peter, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? Now, he didn't want the cup. In fact, he didn't want to drink the cup. That's the other Gospels. But he understood how necessary it was. In fact, John says in chapter 20, he says... um, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wants to make sure you understand he really is God. It qualifies him to have the power to do what he says he's going to do. Now, Luke. Luke speaks to his humanity. Look what it says. Leading them, Judas approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, Luke identifies, in fact, all of them identify at one time or another, Jesus' favorite phrase for identifying Himself was Son of Man. Now, I had you repeat deity earlier, so let's say Son of Man together. Ready? Son of Man. Do you know why Jesus uses that term? To identify with His humanity. That He's not just deity, He's not just God, but He is fully human. He uses that phrase 78 times in the Gospels. It's the most common way he describes himself, but it's not just that he identifies with his humanity. He really is human because he looks at Judas, and I want you to get into the moment and the power of that moment. Judas, are you really going to betray me with a kiss? Matthew, the word that he uses for kiss is the same word that Luke uses for kiss when he describes the prodigal son and it says the son came home to the father and the father kissed him and it means he kissed him over and over and over. So... Uh, 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 Judas didn't just give him a, a little peck on the cheek he went overboard you know when you're trying to hide how guilty you feel about something you, you kind of go through the extreme and so he went overboard as he tried to show how, how loving he was toward Jesus and Jesus looked at him and it's as if he's saying are you seriously going to use a term of friendship to betray me You don't don't think Jesus felt that? You don't think he felt that betrayal? I don't know how many of you have ever been betrayed by a parent or a friend or a child or a spouse. But if you've ever been betrayed, Jesus... He understands what you're going through. I don't know how many of you, any of you watched the Super Bowl this year? Little bits of it? Okay, how many of you watched some of the commercials or went afterwards and watched them? Yeah, so I, I did too. I watched some of them and I, I don't get into them as much as I used to but there was a commercial that played during the super bowl It turned out there was a whole series of commercials and it turned out they represented an entire series of commercials which is a christian movement by private individuals to help people understand who jesus is it's called he gets us he gets us you heard of this some of you heard it i didn't know anything about it hundred million dollars provided by private donors to simply make these commercials, develop website. It's a way to help individuals get a very genuine and authentic view of who Jesus is. Mostly, they put together little clips of about 30 seconds. Some of them are a little longer. And they are simply trying to show you how Jesus identifies with us and we can identify with him. I got one of them I want to show you. Show it this morning. What a wonderful world this would be would be no trouble Isn't that cute? Just real simple, real cute. Lights are good too. That's good, I like them. <laughs> they got lots to do up there. That's a lot of things going on up there when I ask for all these videos. Um, that commercial, real simple. Shows all kinds of little insights um, what Jesus said that if you're going to come into the kingdom of God you've got to be like a little child right um, it speaks a lot about race and racism and how the little children of different races are loving each other and playing together and God wants us to and you see them helping and being compassionate it just, it just has little things do you know what's interesting in that whole movement I, I began to study it a little bit I didn't know it was a whole thing Um, Max Locato's partnered with it they've used some of his writings there's a little book that goes with it and if you go to the website on every one of these it teaches a lesson Then it's got a little video and it's really intriguing you know what's fascinating is that people on the extremes of both political aisles hate it Um, I'm not going to name names because you'll know who they are but those who are on the kind of the extreme liberal side hate it The next day after those commercials, they were making statements like, I don't think Jesus would have spent millions of dollars to promote fascism. What? What are you talking about? Um, I think think you fell on your head. I think there's something wrong with you. Uh, I don't think Jesus would have spent millions of dollars to promote his self-image. And by the way, this group is the same group that is trying to stand against abortion and the proliferation of abortion. It's a pro-life. And so they hate that. They said they hated it. And they don't believe that you, this, this was wrong. This shouldn't be on our airwaves. Extreme conservatives, they're mad at it. There was one of them that showed refugees and it says Jesus was a refugee too. Oh, that's promoting open borders. Why? Hey, can I just tell you something? If you get angry watching that, you just want to be angry. You're an angry person. You need a happy pill. I tend to find that when you upset people on both sides, you're probably right about where you need to be. That's probably pretty good. So let me help you understand some things about Jesus that you may or may not have known. I gave you verses to support each of them. I could have given you multiples. Did you know that Jesus got tired? Fully God. Still got wore out. Did you know that Jesus needed to get away from people too sometimes? Praise God. (laughs) What I really wanted to say is Jesus was tired of people at times, but I think He's holier than me, but... That just makes me encouraged to know that there were times he had to get away from the crowd, and did you know that Jesus was invited to a wedding and he celebrated? And do you know why Jesus was invited to that wedding? We don't exactly know, but it wasn't his hometown. I think it's because they wanted Jesus to be there. I think Jesus liked a good time. I think Jesus knew how to have a good time. in fact I'm going to say the next one, which is going to get me in trouble. Jesus was fun to be with. In fact, I think he liked a good party. Now soon people are going, oh, that's terrible. You can't say that. No, I didn't say he liked to sin. I didn't say he liked to be an idiot. In fact, Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way such as we are and yet was without sin and yet the verses that I give to you in this passage say that Jesus often would hang out and would would uh, sup with those who were sinners and tax collectors now I'm gonna I'd like to say I don't know that much about sinners but I is one, so I probably do know it a little bit. But the fact is, is that I know this about those who like to sin. They usually don't want to be with wet rags, people who kind of put out their fun. Yet somehow, sinners, tax collectors, those who were kind of the the counterculture of their day, they like to be with Jesus. Philip Yancey once said this, and it is one of the most challenging statements I ever heard him say. He said, why is it that sinners love to be with Jesus and they can't stand to be with Christians? Yet was without sin. I want to make sure I say that. Did you know that Jesus grieved? Wept at the tomb of one of his better friends, Lazarus. Jesus went through the loss of his earthly father. We know his dad was not at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus looks down from the cross to His best friend, John, and He looks at His mom and He says, Dear woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. At that moment on the cross, Jesus was looking down and He was entrusted. Now, Jesus had brothers and sisters we know that from the rest of scripture Mark talks about his brothers and his family wanting to take him in hand but see none of them yet believed who he was and so he needed to make sure his mom was taken care of why would you have to do that as the oldest son it was his responsibility to care for his mom when dad was no longer in the picture so he either died or he abandoned the family and that doesn't seem to probably go along with Joseph's character but we know he wasn't there and if he was alive can you imagine the heartache of being on the cross and your dad not being there he knew that Jesus knew what it was to be tempted yeah he was tempted In fact, he was tempted to sin. It doesn't mean that he had a sin nature. It doesn't mean that he gave in. But if Jesus was tempted in every way such as I am, the encouragement that comes from me is that he didn't play by a different set of rules. And so whatever it is that's warring against your soul, Jesus had similar battles. And I already spoke to the fact that he was betrayed. So what does that mean? Well, his humanity, number one, says that he understands how to help us when we're hurting. I've provided passages of scripture that literally say this, but it says because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He himself suffered when he was tempted. Ever suffered in temptation? I bet a lot of you have. I have. But because he suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Secondly, Jesus knows exactly how to intercede for you. Scripture says He is our High Priest. He is our great High Priest. A High Priest is one who intercedes before the Heavenly Father. And so I like to think that when Scripture says that He's our advocate, it means He's a lawyer or a mediator, Phil blows it. And I come before the Father, and I'm like, Lord, I know I've blown this, and and I'm probably wrong on this, but my mind thinks this way. Jesus is saying, Father, I know what it's like to be exasperated and tired and blow up when you shouldn't blow up. When I died on the cross, I died for that too. His humanity says that he was the perfect sacrifice, right? Perfectly able to carry our sins because his deity said he had the power and the purity to be a qualified sacrifice. But his humanity, scripture says this, just like we all sinned through the first Adam, there is another Adam, the second Adam. The last Adam who has paid for all of our sins. And the last thing his humanity speaks is that, and I want you to catch this, he is the image of God pursuing you. The Old Testament helps us to see how far short we fall and in our own strength, how we'll never be able to be good enough to get to God. And so it's as if God in himself as Jesus Christ lays aside Philippians chapter 2. He lays aside the glory of heaven and takes on the very nature of a servant, humanity. And he's obedient even to death on the cross. It's like God says, I know you'll never get to me, so I'm coming to you. And that serves one of the most misunderstood and unimaginable things in all of spiritual theology and any religion, God takes on humanity and carries our sin. So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. If you really knew me, you would know him. And you do know him because you have seen him. So wherever you're at wondering if he gets you, he does. Father, I realize that sometimes when you have these conversations, it can become a a cerebral dissertation but it's so much more than that because there's a reality in my life that when I fall short and when I struggle and when I am in pain and when I weep because of loss or my heart is broken you get me and Lord you don't somehow take on the sin by being sinful, but you've somehow taken my sin on the cross. And that's why scripture says, let us then boldly, confidently come before the throne of grace, where we find mercy in our time of need. It's because of your personhood. So encourage your children today. Encourage the one who's struggling encourage the one who's battling addictions encourage the one who feels like there's no hope yeah there is and your personhood is the reason thanks lord it's in jesus name we pray amen amen Amen. do me a favor yeah they're good thanks that's nice i didn't think it was going to happen do me a favor Turn to someone near you, and I mean it, say it. He gets you. Have a great day. God bless. God bless. Prayer partners are here. Love to pray with you with whatever's on your heart today.